0: Welcome to EJB Talks, Rutgers Blaustein School Experts in Policy, Planning, and Health, where we talk with our faculty and staff experts, as well as students, about how the fields of public policy, urban planning, public health, health administration, and public and urban informatics affect your lives. Welcome to EJB Talks. I'm Stuart Shapiro, the Associate Dean of Faculty at the Blaustein School, and the purpose of this podcast is to talk with my colleagues and our alumni about policy planning and health, the interactions between these issues and how they affect people in New Jersey, the United States and the world. Today we have an alumni of both of our master's programs in public policy and in urban planning. And I think that for the first time on the podcast, a former student of mine, George Santos currently works at the New Jersey Economic Development Authority. Welcome, George. Thanks for having me, Stu. Absolutely.
1: Can you tell us a little bit about your path from Blaustein to the EDA? Uh, Sure. Um, So before Blaustein, um, I was pretty involved in campaigns and government here in New Jersey. And I wanted to take more of a, a policy-type uh, role in the future, and I really couldn't decide if I wanted to be more kind of general public policy, um, but I also had a passion for uh, urban planning, and, and luckily enough, Blaustein offered a dual degree, um, so that's what I did. Um, shortly after I, I graduated, I started working for the Brick City Development Corporation uh, in Newark, um, which then became the Newark Community Economic Development Corporation. Um, I came on as a policy advisor and you know, kind of did a little bit of everything working with developers, kind of ushering projects through City Hall, um, helping on special uh, city projects. Um, eventually, Aisha Glover became the uh, president and CEO of the uh, Newark CDC, and we worked on the Amazon bid um, proposal together, and you know it was a really great experience. And Aisha moved on to the Newark Alliance, um, and I followed her uh, shortly after that. The um, Newark Alliance is a consortium of Anchor institutions in the city, um, corporations like Prudential, but nonprofits like NJPAC, for example. Um, it was a really great organization. And from there, I ended up getting, I guess, hired away or working for uh, the Economic Development Authority. Um, started there in December of 2019. And ironically enough, um, Aisha also became a board member uh, for the EDA probably about a week or two after I joined. Um, so she's great. It's great to continue working with her and, and the rest of our, our, of our, uh, our board.
0: Wonderful. So tell us a little bit about EDA. Probably some of our audience knows what they do, but others, particularly those out of state, are going to be utterly unfamiliar. So tell me about the agency you work for.
1: So the Economic Development Authority is uh, an independent authority in but not of the Department of Treasury at the state. And we work with uh, mostly small businesses. Um, We offer uh, low interest loans um, and technical assistance. Um, One of the Larger avenues for kind of bigger projects we do are uh, economic development tax incentives, um, both the corporate tax incentives and also real estate-based tax incentives. Um, recently, we had a new bill package, uh, the Economic Recovery Act, which I think we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, and we're you know busy standing up those programs. Um, but the EDA really kind of helps to, you know, give businesses that kind of are looking for that boost or looking for that assistance, um, that kind of help. And recently under the Murphy administration um, and Tim Sullivan, our uh, our CEO, we've been trying to shape the EDI and kind of push it in an area where it's a little bit more than a state financial institution and kind of really looks at the innovation economy and interesting projects. So one of our big projects we've been pushing for that we're really excited about is the Windport um, down in Salem County. Um, and so that is going to be kind of the state's launching pad to become the uh, kind of the premier um, center for offshore wind uh, up and down the East Coast. And in addition, you know, we're working with uh, you know the Department of Environmental Protection to do things for the regional greenhouse gas initiative that um, to help push, you know, electrification of vehicles. Um, there's different. Uh, environmental justice programs that have an economic component that come out of EDA, um, and really looking at different sectors and how we can grow and promote innovation in those sectors um, beyond just the traditional uh, low-interest loans, which, again, are important for a small business community, um, but not the only thing we want to do.
0: Right. So the, the bureaucracy nerd in me here is your, the first sentence you said there, you know, in in but not of the Department of Treasury described as independent, and wondered what exactly does that mean?
1: Uh, So we have a governing board. Um, The board is made up of several, um, I'm going to forget the exact numbers, but we have several ex-officio members from the state. So Department of Labor has a seat in our board, banking and insurance, Department of Treasury, um, environmental protection. And we also have several public members um, that the governor appoints. Um, The uh, Senate president and speaker of the assembly also have some appointments to our board, and they technically hire our CEO. Um, usually on the recommendation of someone that the governor would would recommend. And you know, in this instance, uh Tim Sullivan has been CEO since uh twenty eighteen. Um and so we're, you know, not like we are a cabinet level um authority and it's a little that's a little bit unique for authorities. Um, but we're not, you know, a, a department. So that's why Tim is the chief executive officer. He is not a commissioner um for the authority. And we, you know, just a little bit more flexibility in some of the usual ways that the state operates.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so what has changed? This podcast started sort of after the pandemic and has been looking a lot at the effects of the pandemic and the ensuing recession. Can you talk a little bit about if, how, if at all, the pandemic has altered what EDA does?
1: Yeah. So I started at EDA, like I said, in December of 2019. I was there for all of about three, three and a half months when I just felt like I got my sea legs and then we were all sent to go work from home. Um, so we're, we're coming up on almost a year of that. And uh, so the authority, we work pretty well from home. Um, to be honest, it's, it's worked out much better than we thought it would. And I think that's been the case for a lot of uh, corporations and, and professional type organizations. Um, as terms of priorities uh you know we we thought we were going to have a pretty full plate um already with you know like the, the windport like i mentioned and a few other initiatives we were we were looking at and you know the governor was still working on getting an incentives package passed um which eventually we did uh, at the end of 2020 but then the the pandemic really kind of it caused us to kind of like react and prepare and and to help uh try to figure out how to help these small businesses um, that we knew were going to be shut down so before we even got sent home um uh, we were preparing for, you know, a grant program um off the EDA balance sheet. Um, you know, we don't get a state appropriation. As I mentioned, we're a financing institution. And so we generate a lot of our own funds. So we were we put up five million dollars of our own money for a small grant program that was going to be focused on those industries that have kind of direct face-to-face, you know, retail contacts. So we were looking at restaurants, um, barbershops, you know, personal care, um, those kinds of folks. And we launched that program. Uh, I think it was the first week of April, and we were way oversubscribed. Um, as you can imagine, there was tremendous need because these businesses were ordered to to stop operating. Um, that was before um, any federal assistance came to the state. Um, so once the federal assistance got here, you know, and the state was balancing using that money for public health uh, needs as well as economic needs, um, at the EDA, kind of just to summarize over the course of the year, we ended up. Between a Phase One, Phase Two, and Phase Three grant program, as well as some loans and technical assistance, we've passed through well over two hundred million dollars through the EDA and to the hands of small businesses, and we've touched uh, nearly fifty-five thousand businesses, um, at least through you know one of our smaller grants, um, all the way up to you know loans in, in six figures. And normally, we just touch a few hundred businesses in a given year. So it's been a real learning experience for the EDA and uh, a real testament to the uh, the authority staff. Um, you know, again, I've just been there for a little over a year and I'm continuously blown away just by how smart and dedicated and innovative um, everyone that works at EDA is. So this grant program, you know, for example, you know, we learned you're working with federal regulations and, you know, making sure that, um, you know, you follow all the guidance from treasury, which, you know, is evolving or vague and they can come at you several years later to audit it. And, you know, maybe you thought it was going to be one thing and then it's it's another thing. And so there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that goes on in the background. Um, but you know, we know the most important thing is just making sure these business owners get the assistance that, that they need right now.
0: Yeah. Arguably that's never been more important than in the past year or so. Um, so that brings us to the, to the recent statute that passed, the
1: Economic Recovery Act. What is that and what does that mean for EDA? Now, The Economic Recovery Act is, uh, is a big package of, uh, of bill. I'm sorry, it's one bill, but there's like several programs in there. So this is the successor to the Economic Opportunity Act of 2013. And in the Economic Recovery Act, there are several programs and changes to existing programs. So some of the new programs, um, there are seven new programs. There are successors to the Grow NJ and ERG program. Um, those were the jobs-based and real estate-based uh, tax incentive programs previously. So that's corporate attraction, corporate retention, and you know subsidies to build uh, you know housing um, or commercial commercial buildings. Um, so that the new programs are emerge and aspire in the new bill and. You no, know, they're they're similar, um, but you know, we would argue improved. They are, each program is now capped. Um, so that helps with an annual cap so we can kind of budget and know exactly how much we're gonna be issuing um every year. And that's that's an important tool for the state. There are several new anti-corruption measures in there. There was, you know, some you may have read in the news, right? There was some uh uh attention given to uh maybe how some of these programs were operated in the past or how certain folks were able to Let's say game the system. Um, so we've tightened up those rules uh, quite a bit. Um, you know, we've named a chief compliance officer. There's going to be an independent inspector general appointed by the governor with advice and consent of the Senate. Um, you know, CEOs must now uh, certify to certain documentation under penalty of perjury, um, which was not the case before. Um, so we've tightened up a lot of those those things and. And then in addition to those two kind of, I don't want to call them premier, but those two like big programs that get all the attention, there are several other tax incentive programs that we're really excited about. So uh, some of the community-based ones, we now have a Brownfields tax incentive um, to help clean up contaminated sites and buildings that may have uh, asbestos or other contamination in them, um, and a Historic Property Reinvestment Act um, geared towards, uh, technically I think the term is income-producing properties, so think of everything other than you know, single-family homes. Um, So if you think of a place like downtown Newark, it has a lot of uh, historic buildings where maybe those second, third, and fourth floors remain vacant because it's not economically cost-effective to develop those spaces into office or residential space Um, when the ground floor is bringing in enough rent. We hope that tax incentive helps to revitalize those areas. Um, We have a community anchor development program, um, and this is going to be Pretty complex, um, but this is going to help us work with anchor institutions um, like Rutgers University, um, like our performing arts centers, like museums or community colleges, um, and help them expand um, or develop new programs or you know new new space in uh, economically distressed areas. Um, and that we will EDA will enter in kind of as a partner as opposed to just uh, issuing a tax credit and kind of financing the project and taking a step back, we will be an active partner in in those projects. And uh, the New Jersey uh, Innovation Evergreen Fund is also an exciting uh, program. Um, Probably by the end of the year is our target. We will be auctioning off uh, a bunch of tax credits. Um, We'll use those funds to partner with uh, other businesses to uh, kind of go in 50-50 to help uh, finance like startup companies in the innovation economy. Um, so it's a really exciting kind of way to leverage public dollars, um, as well as you know private ex- uh, expertise um, in growing those small to medium businesses that end up generating the the most jobs. Um, and then the act you know several other tweaks to existing programs like the angel investor tax credit and the net operating loss program, kind of increasing the thresholds there. Um, and oh, I'm sorry. Um, just getting back to small businesses, uh, one of the exciting things in the program is there's a fifty million dollar appropriation for a main street uh, recovery program. and we're still like all these programs writing the the rules and regulations um and that'll be a lengthy process. but that'll be you know again additional direct assistance to small businesses, not necessarily covid impacted businesses, um, but to help grow our our main streets and our, our small downtowns.
0: Great. Um, I will say, I think that's the first time the phrase tax incentives that we are really excited about <laughs> been used on the podcast there.
1: Um... Yeah. Well, I mean, just yeah, tax incentives. They're, they're just, they're one other tool in the toolbox for, for everything else we're doing at EDA. And they're uh, they're a good way to finance uh, some really exciting programs.
0: So um, do you think, you know, in terms of what EDA does, That, you know, a year from now, two years from now, um, it'll be back to looking like it was pre-pandemic or has sort of the the vision of what economic recovery is and economic development is changed permanently?
1: That's a hard question. It's it's hard to predict the future. Um, I think the pandemic has probably accelerated. Some existing trends, um, and this is really just kind of my personal opinion, and you know we're still you know internally at the e d a and throughout you know government everyone's just kind of batting around ideas for what does this actually mean for the future, so just speaking for myself, you know, I don't think the office building is dead um I think you know, but I do think uh corporations are going to be forced and probably even welcome uh more flexible work from home policies, right, so you might not need to be in the office five days a week but you're probably gonna be in there three days a week four days a week work from home one day a week if you're kid sick or, or if you have you know the sniffles but are still able to sit at a laptop and they'll probably tell you to just work from home instead of coming in and getting everyone else sick or, or taking a sick day um, and that'll maybe that'll shape kind of the way we see our downtowns as well as uh, retail and online retail right we've seen kind of an explosion um, of online shopping um, and uh, kind of ordering out. Um, and, you know, one of the programs we did, uh, we implemented last year was technical assistance to try to help companies kind of modernize a little bit, do online reservation systems, help them get some of their inventory online, um, you know, mixed success in that, you know, there's different sophistication levels among small businesses. Some folks that are used to doing things in a specific way, but, you know, in, in some instances have been really good, really, really great success. And, you know, I think those, again, this is probably the planner in me speaking, right? I think place is still going to matter, and people are still going to want to congregate in interesting places, um, and those are going to continue to be our downtowns and our main streets, um, just because you can go live in the middle of rural America and maybe work a full-time job in Manhattan. Some people are going to want to do that, um, but not everybody. Some people might have a suburban job and would much rather live in a dense urban area, and so they're going to want to do that. And so I think that really means that the attractiveness of your place to a workforce is going to matter even more. We already knew companies kind of followed workforces around the country, um, and they don't necessarily need to do that as much. But if you're a local government trying to grow your local tax base, you're going to need to be more attractive, I think, to, to those workers.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, you mentioned your background in planning gonna, for our audience who include some of our students and maybe even potential students. I was wondering if you could conclude by talking for a moment about how your policy and planning degrees prepared you for where you are now.
1: Yeah. So the EDA, right, we do a lot of financing. So like public finance is really important. Um, And kind of how you view everything and your interactions with state and federal government um, you know, are really important. But a lot of what we do is place-based, right? All of our tax incentive programs, I think all of our tax incentive programs have a geographic component to them, right? We're looking at the distressed areas, areas that need more investment. Um, You know, transit-oriented development, you know, is an important component to a lot of these programs. Um, You know, reinvesting in walkable communities, that kind of, you know, green building, all that kind of stuff plays a large role uh, in our programs. Um, And you need to be able to balance that with, Understanding the needs in other departments in the state, understanding some of the, you know, the politics behind it, um, behind, you know, the state government and, you know, how it interacts with, with local government. And it all kind of like mishmashes together um, in, uh, in a really interesting way, in a way that I really enjoy. George, thanks for coming on. And it's great to know
0: that uh, although that three years you spent taking classes has has paid off for you.
1: Yeah, my, thank you, Stu. My my time at Blasting was really enjoyable. Um, you know, I love coming back to visit. Uh, I really do think it prepared me um, for my current career, and I wouldn't change it for anything.
0: Wonderful. Thank you also to Amy Cobb and Karen Olson for their usual outstanding production work. We'll be back next week with another talk from another expert from the Blasting School community. Until then, stay safe.